Hi, I'm Bill Gaither, and welcome to More Than the Music, a podcast where you can join me for conversations with some of the most interesting people I know. Each episode features a special guest who has inspired me in some way during my 50 years in the music industry. You'll meet incredible artists, writers, and comedians, sports figures, and other folks I'm grateful to call my friends. Join me now for this week's episode of More Than the Music. It's going to be good. Dr. David Jeremiah is the founder of Turning Point Ministries, an international ministry committed to providing Christians with sound Bible teaching through radio, television, the internet, live events, and resource materials and books. He's the author of more than 50 books, including Is This the End? The Spiritual Warfare Answer Book, David Jeremiah Morning and Evening Devotions, Airship Genesis, Kids Study Bible, and the Jeremiah Study Bible. He serves as the senior pastor of Shadow Mountain Community Church in San Diego, California, where he resides with his wife, Donna. They have four grown children and 12 grandchildren. David, it's good to uh, be talking with you today. The fun thing about what I'm doing these days is what I would be doing even without the camera. I'd be talking to you on the phone saying, how, how are things going in San Diego? <laughs> well, we've been doing that for a long time, way, way back into the uh, Indiana days. And um, we, we've shared a lot together over the years. Two, uh, two guys from what, Ohio and Indiana, that was, what, it was 40, 45 years ago, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been in Shadow Mountain 39 years. So I came here in 81. Yeah. So I was in, I was in Fort Wayne from 67 to 81. And um, those were good years. Well, and that's when we got acquainted. And at this age, there's nothing like long-term relationships and you have been a good friend for all those years. And it's good. I, to, I feel the same way. Uh, same here. David, uh, we're going to talk today about your book, uh, the publisher, or maybe maybe you sent the copy to us. And, and Gloria and I looked at the topic and I said, hey, somebody needs to be saying these things, especially during this time. Just the title of the book alone, uh, Forward. I told somebody the other day, too many people are living in the past. Yep. Yeah. And it's, and it's such an easy trick to get into. I loved one of the lines uh, in the front part of your book when it says, with our eyes fixed firmly on the rear view mirror, we wonder, are our best days behind me? And the answer quickly, you say, no. And I love this line. When you serve the kingdom of heaven, your future is always unfolding at the speed of grace. When you serve the kingdom of heaven, your future is always unfolding at the speed of... That, that's a hooky. That's a hooky line. No, well, I'm expect to, I expect to see a song here within the next few weeks. <laughs> but that was the purpose of the book, to simply say, right. don't get stuck in the past. And I don't care, and you're talking to the right guy today, I don't care how old you get, your best days 
are in front of you. Yeah. You know, Bill, the, the thing that happened is I, I tell the story in the beginning of this book that I, I went to a concert where Tommy Walker uh, was, was singing some songs he'd written and the concert was almost over. He said, hey, let me just do this one last song before we leave. And he, and he got up and he started singing this song and the song was called Forward. And it was all about getting your, getting your eyes going in the right direction and not living in the past. And I was sitting with my wife, Donna, and I turned to her and I said, honey, that's what's been brewing in my heart. That's what I've been concerned about. So many people wanna, they wanna live their lives looking in the rear view mirror. And I always, report, I always report to them that the rear view mirror is like this, but the windshield is huge. Why? And God, I, I, don't, I think that's a great picture. Look toward the future. And when people stop doing that, they die before they die. And that's a sad thing to see. And you know what? They don't have to be old to die. They can be 40, 45. Absolutely. That's even more sad to see when you, when mm -hmm. you, I think sometimes in artistry, that is very, very true. Artistry can be a very, very uh, cruel uh, master sometimes. And uh, music can be a young thing. And I've watched the careers of artists and they go like this. And, and when they start doing this, which every artist has that experience, uh, they get discouraged, they get depressed, whether or not it's in the secular field or even or or even the spiritual field. I love your I love your chapter divisions. Your first one was about dreaming. Talk to us yeah. about it. Well, uh, the story in that chapter is about David. Uh, he was sitting in his paneled house one day and he began to think about the fact that the Ark of the Covenant was still in an old torn up tent. And he thought to himself, this isn't right. Here I'm in this luxurious palace and the, and the instrument that represents the presence of God is in a tent. And he made up his mind right then. He was going to build a place for the Ark of the Covenant. And it was his dream. And of course, uh, as you know, Bill, his, his dream was great until God told him he couldn't do it. God said, no, David, you're a man of blood and uh, I'm not going to let you build this. And so David had to allow his dream to die for a moment and it came alive in his son. I always loved the part about the fact that he spent the rest of his life raising the money for the temple so that his son could go out and, and live his dream. His dream uh, was so great, it was beyond his death and it lived after he was gone. And, and, and the chapter, I just try to tell people, you know, when you stop dreaming, when you start thinking and allowing God to place uh, these thoughts in your heart, you. You, you don't have any real reason to keep going, and, and I don't think that's the way God wants us to live. We wrote a song one time for Larnell to sing, Dream On, when the world just doesn't believe. God has promised never to leave him alone. Dream on, follow hope wherever it leads. In the seed of dreams, there's a promise of the dawn. Dare to listen mm -hmm. to the music, keep on following the star. Morning can't be far. Dream on. Love that chapter. Bill, I ended up, I ended up that chapter by telling the story about how I always dreamed about being in radio, and I used to, I used to do radio kits when I was a kid, and I got a couple of jobs as an announcer on some stations when I was in college, and then God called me to preach, and I remember telling Donna, I, I I'm, I'm okay with what He's want me to do, but man, I don't know, I, I love radio. What's that all about? <laughs> and then I made the comment in the book, God didn't call me to preach to take away my dream. He called me to preach because my dream was too small. 
And the, what God has done through radio in my life is, is way greater than anything I could have achieved if I'd have kept following my own plan. When you, when you follow God's dream, uh, it's always going to be better than anything you could have come up with, that's for sure. In all the years that we did the uh, Billy Graham Crusades, the one thing I heard them talk about more than anything else in preparation for the Crusades and during the Crusades and after the Crusade was a word, pray, pray, mm -hmm. pray. I, I, I've never seen an organization that emphasized praying anymore. Your second chapter is about praying. Yeah, and you know what? That's the reason God blessed Billy Graham. And, um, he prayed. He was a humble man. Something about praying that keeps your, 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 your eyes in the heaven and your feet on the ground. And the story, in, in, in the story about prayer is about um, Nehemiah, who went back to build the walls of Jerusalem and how he, he got a vision for it. Then he prayed. And the purpose of the chapter was to point out that when you get a dream, it's prayer that carries that dream through to fruition. And so the story about Nehemiah is great. Every time he turned around, he had opposition. And the Bible said, he stopped for a moment, and he prayed, then he dealt with a problem. And if you've been a leader, as you have been, and as I have been, you know that prayer is a conversation with God. It's not something you just spend in the morning. All day long, you, you hear yourself saying, so, so now, Lord, what do I do with this? And, and that's, that's the thing I wanted to convey, that you start with the dream, and, and the dream probably was instituted by prayer, but it's carried along by prayer. Nehemiah is such a great illustration of that as he built those walls and fought his way all the way through. 52 days later, the walls were up, and they had a big praise service to thank God for his, his provision. The book is so practical. Gloria and I kept talking about how practical this book. Step one, dreaming. Step two, praying. Chapter number three, talks about the importance of choosing. And you touched on a topic that we love very much. What do we hang on to? What do we let go? We have to, one way or the other, we have to prioritize. And many times our friends don't understand our priorities. And many times mm -hmm. Christian friends will even lay a guilt trip on you about what oh, are you yeah. to what But sooner or later, you've got to say yes to what God wants you to say yes to. And mm -hmm. sometimes you've got to say to notice, not that something is bad, if it were a choice between an A or an F, we can all make that decision. But yeah. a lot of our decisions are between an A and a B. And at that point... And the, yeah, and the longer you go and the more God honors you, the harder that is. To say no. <laughs> Isn't that true? It, 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 the, 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 like, for instance, with what's happened with the video thing and all of that, you know, I, re I remember you telling a story years ago, and, and I don't know why I remember this, telling about somebody calling you up and say God told them that you were supposed to be at their church at a certain time. And, and I think true. you said, well, I hadn't told me. Isn't that, didn't that happen? <laughs> Actually happened. I even had uh, Billy Zioli one time, and he told this story publicly, uh, called us, and what did the trio to saying, I forget the date, let's pick a date, April the 22nd in Grand Rapids on Monday night, uh, because President Ford at that time was, he's from uh, Grand Rapids, he was gonna be speaking. And he wanted us to do the music. And I said, Billy, uh, we can't do it. 
And he said, well, I just checked on your schedule. I, uh, uh, you're not booked. I said, oh, yes, we're booked. We're booked at 211 East Hannah Street, Alexandria, Indiana, with three little kids. It's on a Monday night. We don't do anything else on a Monday night except we're home with our kids. There was a little pause. He said, are you serious? I said, I'm serious. So you're not going to sing for the president, right? I said, well, I like President Ford, but no, we can't do it. And learning how to say no in a nice kind of a way, even for wonderful invitations, is not an easy thing to do. No, and you know, I have to do that a lot. I did it some this week, and uh, it's, I remember one time telling my wife that you, you need to have a list of things you do, but you also need to have a list of things you don't do. Yeah. And I, I said, if those are priorities, these should be posteriorities. So I said, I don't know if there's a good word or not, but I made a list of posteriorities. For instance, when my children were little, we used to go to Bible camps and I'd stay there and I'd teach the Word of God for a whole week and I loved it. But as my children got older and God began to do the things He's done at Turning Point at Shadow Mountain, I couldn't devote a whole week to that anymore. I just had to say to my schedulers, unless it's something overwhelmingly compelling, I just can't do that, so I just give you permission to let them know that's not something I can do. Here's another thing I couldn't do. Sometimes people would write to you or call you and say, hey, we want you to come, and we want you to speak on this topic and all that. I don't have time to prepare special information for these events. I can come and share something I've already studied. But I felt guilty about that at first, but then the Lord really showed me, you know, He, he put me here to do what He wants me to do, and nobody else can come and change that. I have to do God's bidding and not let other people try to steer me in places. And I get, I get caught sometimes, Bill. I do it, and I usually regret it. I usually say, I know it. oh, how did I get that? How did I do that? <laughs> so that's, that's one of the real challenges. If you're going to see your dream through to fruition, you can't go down too many side roads. You've got to stay on the main drive. I know that you and Donna probably have some of the same struggles that Gloria and I have. And a lot of our struggles, and, uh, and I just got to be honest about it uh, in the past, have been, uh, been on two topics. One, how we're raising the kids. Uh, you may not have that problem. But the priority business is we probably had more heated discussions, as Jeff Easter said, when they said, uh, do you and uh, Sherry argue? He said, no, we just have intense moments of fellowship from time to time. And some of our <laughs> most intense moments of fellowship have come when I did say yes to something and Gloria and I got there and she would say, why did you say yes to this? You know, we could be at home with the kids doing something else. That never stops. That is tough. No, it doesn't. No. And, you know, uh, when I was in Indiana back in those years when we were uh, together in the same state, I was building a church, the Blackhawk Baptist Church. Yes. It started with seven families. And I was out every night visiting and all that. And uh, my, we had two little children at home. And uh, I would come home after dinner and Donna would say, honey, are you going to be gone again tonight? Oh. And I'd give her this little spiritual answer. Hey, I'm the gross national product here. If right. I don't do this, nobody yeah. else is going to do yeah. it. And this is what God's called me to do. That went on, and I saw the sadness in her face. One day she got me. She said, we need to talk. 
went and sat in, in the kitchen and she said, David, I feel like when I ask you about what you're doing with your time, I'm arguing with God and I'm not gonna do it anymore. You're the priest of this family. You're not a pastor first, you're a, you're a father first. And so I'm just gonna turn this over to you and God. You need to resolve this. I'm never gonna ask you about it again. And it broke my heart. And I, I'll tell you the truth, it was one of the main things in my life. I never missed the key things. When my kids were playing football on the East Coast, I went every week, sometimes getting home at three o'clock in the morning. I never regretted, and I, I owe it to Donna for making me realize, and I came up with these little priorities. I'm a person, I have a relationship with God. I'm a partner, I have a relationship with my wife. Absolutely. I'm a parent, I have a relationship with my kids. Then I'm a pastor. And I stood up in my church one day, Bill, and I said, I hate to tell you guys this, you're number four. On, the, prior four. on, on, yeah. on the priority list. <laughs> and I said, but if I don't do one, two, and three right, I got nothing to give you. What so you better pray that I stay in that priority list. So what you say yes to, and we're talking to the folks who are listening, and what you say no to is a very important thing. Absolutely. Let me say this about you because I know you wouldn't say it. And it's interesting when you're trying to prioritize, but you and I both had a dear friend who passed away during this pandemic, Phil Brower from Grand Rapids. And you called me at the house and said, Bill, uh, I'm gonna do Phil's service on online. And, uh, and, and would you participate in it? And I said, yes. And I told, uh, and you put it all together. And that takes time to do that kind of a thing. Yes, it does. And I told Gloria, I said, you know, what I love about David is his heart. He has to say yes to a lot of stuff nationally, but this was a private little service for a good man who, who was in both of our lives. God bless you for, for that kind of decision making. Well, I miss him even to this day and think about his wonderful wife. And I know the, the, the time of mourning is still there. So I, um, <sighs> I'm glad we did that. And by the way, your part in that was great. And it, was, it turned out to be quite a good service. Gloria, um, for Gloria, and I, Gloria and I loved it. And knowing how Phil was a producer, and he loved to have everything on time. When that service ended, it was exactly 60 minutes. And I said, Phil would have been happy. Believe it or not, I told her guys that. I said, we can't mess around with this and we can't blow this thing. Because <laughs> Phil was, he, he was a perfectionist. And I used to sit in the booth with him at the quartet convention. When, and he started that fining process. When people would go over time, he started fining them per minute. I said, you really collect that? He said, absolutely. And he put the fear of God in those people. <laughs> With the I finally figured out at 84, I am an 84-year-old ADD person. I got it from Mark Lowry, okay? But, mm -hmm. but the challenge of getting people to focus, your quote was, make your one thing the main thing. Talk to mm -hmm. us about it. Well, you know, it's, it's, it, a lot of people have written about the one thing deal, um, my friend John Gordon has some stuff in writing about that. Others have written about it. And it seems a little bit overwhelming to think that you can, you can control your life with one thing. And I'm not really sure you can, but I, 
I think the interesting thing in that chapter is this, Bill. For years and years and years, the word priority was in the singular. And then about 14 or 15 years ago, somebody added the word S to it and priority <laughs> became priorities. And that's the problem. Really, what is my one priority in life? It's to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ with all that I do. Everything flows from that. And if you get too many, you get spread out so thin, you haven't got, you got nothing to, and you wear yourself out. I see people doing this all the time. It's kind of back to whether you can say no or not. It, it can, because if you can't say no, pretty soon you can't say yes. Your focus so much uh, is talking about the future and forgetting the tapes of confusion that keep running over and over again in our minds. Mm -hmm. The confusion of the past and what we could have done, what we could have done better. I told you on the phone, there, there are a lot of reasons why we're excited about the book. But one of the reasons I said, I can give you a song. Of course, I'm always plugging songs. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a songwriter. I'm a song plugger. I take glorious ideas. But nightly, uh, a little Wes Hampton with a group sings this song. I repent for moments I have spent recalling all the pain and failures of my past. I repent for dwelling on the things beyond my power to change the chains that held me fast. I will go on. The past I leave behind me. I gladly take his mercy and his love. He is joy and he is peace. He is strength and sweet release. I know he is and I am his. I will go on. And you know, that's, that's really a reflection of what Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what he was saying, this is one of his later letters. He was, all, he was like you and, you and me. He was in the final triad of his, of his ministry. But he said, I look back and, you know, Paul could have looked back and dwelt on his failures. He, he, was, one of the, he was one of the persecutors of the church. He was standing at the feet of those who stoned uh, Stephen. He could have looked back and, and have been just demolished by all the things that he did before he became a Christian. Or he could have looked back and taken great pride in everything that happened after he became a follower of Christ. But he basically said, look, you know, I refuse to use the past either to defeat me or to give me arrogance. My goal is to move on from here. And here he is. He's where we are, and he's saying, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What a testimony that is to me and to you and to all of us. It's never time to quit looking to the future. Never. It's never time to dwell in the past. The past is a teacher, but if you let it become your life, and I've seen this happen in so many people's lives, many pastors, um, you know, and it's really tragic because it steals the joy right out of their heart. And, and that's the last thing they need. <laughs> More Than the Music is sponsored by the folks at the Game Show Network. You know, these days, it seems like every time you turn on the television, there's something that makes you want to shout back at the screen. Well, at the Game Show Network, that's the whole point, but in a good way. They're dedicated to creating family-friendly play-along and laugh-along games 
that will have the whole family getting in on the competition. Whether you're watching their classic games in the morning or their block of all the original shows from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. every weekday, it's a great way to bring everyone together in one place and on one screen. If you're looking for entertainment that the whole family can enjoy together, the answer is the Game Show Network. In some ways, this last year, and what I'm doing this summer, even during this, is some of the best days of my life. I mean, the the joy of being able to communicate to people that, uh, you know, travel has limited that, but to be able to do that day, these are good days. And thank God for technology. Yeah. Absolutely. I told my wife the other day, I said, I don't think people really understand that nothing like what we're going through right now has ever happened in the history of our nation. Yep. When they write about this period, they're going to write about it being the most unusual period in the history of America. And you and I got to live through it. And we got to challenge it. And we got to be a part of it. And what an opportunity. Every, every good invention, every good thing that's happened in the past always came out of some kind of crisis, some kind of struggle. And somebody said, I'm not going to let this get the best of me. <laughs> one, of my, one of my friends is in a church where they have decided not to go back to church. And he was telling me on the phone yesterday, he said, I am so tired of hearing my leaders tell me what we can't do. And none of them seem to have any creativity and talk about what we can do. And that's really the issue here. Yep. If you want to focus on what you can't do, I can give you a long list. But there's some things you can do, like I told you earlier, uh, we had to have church outside on the 4th of July when we usually have a big celebration. And there, there was some things we couldn't do. But we figured out the one thing we could do that we couldn't do inside was we got some guys to jump out of an airplane with the American flag flying over our assembly. <laughs> and it was a glorious moment. And we just kind of... We kind of high-fived each other. Yeah. You can kick us outdoors, but you can't keep us... The, the big outdoors is a big opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chapter 5 talks about risk. There is no way any gain is going to happen without risk, right? Absolutely. If you can't take a chance... And you know, really, risk is just a secular word for faith. It's believing that, that if God calls you to do it, He's going to supply the wherewithal for you to make it happen. And in the story of, in that chapter is about Caleb and, and Joshua coming back from their visit to Canaan. And they got back to Katie Sparney and 10 of their buddies said, we can't do this. It's too, too you know, these people are, we look like grasshoppers in yeah. front of these people. We can't do this. But Caleb and Joshua said, no, this is God's dealing. We can do this. And they gave a positive report to the people. You know the story, Bill, the people who didn't believe, including the spies who came back with a bad report. The spies were killed almost immediately, and, and the whole generation had to live in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off, and then Caleb and Joshua led the people into the Promised Land. If they hadn't been willing to risk going against the full report of everybody else and told the truth, every, well, the whole world would have been different because out of that whole story is the continuation of the line of redemption that goes through the Bible. So, you know, I, uh, I look back over my life and there's probably five or six times where I told God, okay, if this is what you want me to do, <laughs> and I'd go home and tell Donna and she would say, you're gonna do what? 
If you don't ever get a you don't going to do what, you haven't really lived in the risk zone. <laughs> you know, the, the, th the thing I loved about this chapter uh, was the integrity that you handled between facts and faith. That's a big struggle uh, for the 21st uh, century Christian. The whole business about, well, here are the facts, okay? But here is the faith. And how to marry those two is not easy. And sometimes I think there's some false teaching out there Yes. That uh, that people really mess up their lives because they totally ignored the facts, and I have told you this before, but I mean it. I I appreciate the tension that you bring between you. You're realistic, uh, and even add prayer and all of that. Talk to us about that. The tension between the facts and the reality and faith. Well, you know. The, the old adage, Bill, is there's a, there's a thin line between faith and foolishness. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of guys who I see them on television. I know some of them personally. You know, if you can think it, if you can believe it, it'll happen. But it doesn't happen that way. Yeah, that's, yeah. Not, that's not true. That's not gospel. That's not biblical. I tell them all the time, I used to believe that I'd be a great basketball player if I was 7'2", <laughs> but I never got past 6'2", <laughs> because it wasn't in the plan for God for me to be that big. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the Bible doesn't tell us to deny the reality of the universe. The Bible says, in fact, a miracle wouldn't be a miracle if it wasn't unusual. Yes. You know, the Bible, the, people say the Bible's full of miracles. No, there's about five sections of the Bible where miracles abound. And there's thousands of years between those miracles in terms of the absolute miracle itself. A miracle is a miracle because it challenges everything. And so if you start making everything a miracle, there aren't any miracles anymore. And that's what sometimes they do. They get involved in this, you know, whatever you say, you can make it happen. It, and then that, that especially is hurtful to people who are going through trials, who are in times of sickness, um, who have incurable, incurable diseases. And I, you know, I pick up the pieces for a lot of those things yep. because of the hurt that it brings. Many pastors uh, do that. They have to pick up the pieces of stuff that just wasn't true in the first place. Mm -hmm. Pursue your dream. Chase your dream. Mm. Here again, I think you're, the way you practically handle this is so good in this book. Talk to us about it. Well, Bill, you know, sometimes people say, well, okay, I've got the dream, it's gonna happen. No, the dream is just the blueprint that God gave you, and now he wants you to go and fulfill that. Uh, I told a story there that after God called me to preach when I was a senior in, in college, I didn't just sit there and say, okay, Lord, show me a place to preach. I realized that I wasn't adequately prepared, and I called a friend of mine who was a graduate of Dallas Seminary, and I said, What's, what do I have to do to get into seminary? And I went after my calling. That's what I think I was trying to say there. If God calls you to do something, that's not a call to passivity. It's, it's the reminder, this is the door that's open. Now you walk through it and you give it everything you have. You pursue this with all of your heart. And if you don't, the dream is not a dream, it's just an idle vision. A dream God gives you to pursue. And I'll tell you the truth, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I violated the biblical definition of ambition, but I have worked hard my whole life, Bill, like you have. Uh, 
when God called me to do what he called me to do, I gave it everything I had. And uh, I didn't, I, I never apologized for that. There are a lot of people who think that ambition is evil. No, evil ambition is evil. But godly ambition is pursuing your dream with all that you have. And I've watched you do that. I mean, this thing you've built with these videos and how you've used that to help so many people and not just in the very listening and watching of them. I watch them every Saturday when I'm getting ready to go to Sunday night church. And the only thing I don't like about it is there's too many people in there that aren't here anymore. Uh, and I have, to, I have to look at that. And, and that. But I love the music. But not only that, but your vision went way beyond that. I know a little bit about how you wanted to help these people and give them hope. And, and, we, start, and we, you, started, we started a trust fund. Uh, we got about $3 million in that trust fund now to help artists who get into financial trouble because their planning wasn't good. So there are many wonderful uh, things that came out of that, that. Absolutely. And once you realize it's what, you, what God wants you to do, I think your obligation as a child of God is to be the best person you can be and do that. I remember when I got out of seminary, I, uh, Donna said, honey, today you sounded like Charles Swindoll. I said, oh. <laughs> or you sounded like H Howard Hendricks. Yeah. I think we all have a tendency The people we admire, sometimes we try to copy. Yeah, and I remember one day during that whole discussion with her, I, I realized God was saying, look, I don't want you to be him or him or anybody else. Just be the best David Jeremiah you can be. That's why I put you here. That's what it means to follow your dream, to give everything you have to accomplish what God has given you the opportunity to do. When I was 19, my dream was to be like uh, Hovey and Jake and all the guys, James Blackwood, the Blackwood brothers. So I went out with a group of guys for about eight or nine months. A good thing happened, David. We starved to death. <laughs> <laughs> and after that nine months, I looked in the mirror and I said, your piano, your keyboard skills are not that good. Your vocal skills are not that good. You need to go back to school and prepare. And when I went back to school, I did not major in music. I majored, I majored in English. And I hung that dream up in a closet. And I said, well, that's a good idea, but not now. Put it up in the closet. And then after four years, I started teaching English in public high school. And, but I started writing tunes and songs. Now, unlike my voice and unlike my keyboard skills, I looked at those songs and I said, these are pretty good. These yeah. are better than some of the songs. Yeah. They kept you building. found your sweet spot. I found the sweet spot. They kept building and building and building. Ten years later, God took that dream that I had put hung up in a closet and said, I think I can trust you with this now. Because ten years later, people were calling from all over the country. Our little career was starting demands started yeah. happening for what we were doing. I told this to a group of artists one night, and they said, well, when you hung your dream up, what did you do in the meantime for your dream to come true? I said, I'm glad you asked that question. I became the very best 
English teacher, my, my goal was to become the very best English teacher that Alexandria Monroe High School ever had. And I still run into students today. I had you in 11th grade English class. And I liked your practicality in your book when you said you had a dream you wanted to pursue and there are steps to get there. But at the same time, in the meantime, and I'm glad the kid asked the question, what'd you do? Right now, my goal and my, and, uh, my immediate goal is to become the best of what I'm doing at that time. And the, Amen. And the two fields, uh, I've never left the teaching field. I'm still teaching mm-hmm. today on stages across the country. Yeah. So, I, so I, think it, I think it's possible. But I love the practical way that you handled it in the book. Thank you. Well, it's, it's true, you know. We, sometimes when you talk about a dreamer, the picture you get is somebody who's in a hammock out on the back porch and they're just waiting for something to happen. I've learned this. Things don't just happen. I know. You, you pursue them a, a, in the right way, in a godly way, and God honors your determination to go for it. This is fun. We ought to do this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Forget we're on a program. We're just having this conversation. <laughs> Chapter seven, get your mind right. It all mm. starts up here, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, Bill, I have a trainer who I go to see uh, when, when we're not in the coronavirus. Yeah. And uh, his name is Todd Durkin. And that's his, when you walk into his gym, if he sees you, he'll say, get your mind right, get your mind right. And he kind of drilled that into me. And I began to realize that chapter is about being positive and how vitally important it is for God's people to be positive. And I remember, uh, Bill, when I was growing up, I don't know what your early days were, but I grew up in a, it was a good godly church, but it was legalistic and pretty negative. I knew, yeah, I knew what I was against. I wasn't just sure what I was for. <laughs> and, and it wasn't until I went to Dallas Seminary and I got a wider view of the kingdom and what God was doing. And I still think there's a lot of issues among Christians because, uh, you know, when I first started to circulate some of this material, I had some guys come back and say, well, you can't do that positive stuff. I said, what do you mean? You know, that doesn't belong to any genre. The positive stuff is in the Bible. Well, tell me what you mean. Well, how about this one? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is really positive, but it's the right lesson because he knows he can't do it himself, but he has such great confidence in God. And I think it's time for God's people to get out of this negative stuff that have so controlled us. I mean, I used to go to some meetings as a young boy, Bill, and I'd come home wondering, why do we even go, man? I'm in worse shape than I was when I went. <laughs> and, and because ne- negativity just... Uh, now, does that mean you're not against sin? Of course not. But if you study the Bible, the vast, the vast portions of the Scripture are positive. And they're, they're challenging and encouraging. And I wanted to write that chapter. I told the story of... Um, Dabo Swinney in that, in that chapter, who's the coach at Clemson. I met him in New York City uh, last Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, he's one of the most positive guys I've ever met in my life. My family and I sat in his room at the Marriott Marquis Hotel in downtown New York. And, and for one hour, 
we heard him talk. And when we got done, we were walking down the hall. I told my son, no wonder, he, no wonder he's winning championships. He's a champion. Yes. He talked about his kids, how, how much he loved them, how, how great it was to be in the school. It was just such a refreshing time to be with somebody who understood. And, and if you read this guy's story, he didn't grow up easy. He went through a lot of problems. And the story's in the book. But I just think it's good. It's time for God's people to realize, yeah, we have there's sorrow that we have to face. There are difficulties we have to face. But I'll tell you what, being a Christian and knowing God and loving Him and serving Him is the greatest privilege you could ever have. And if you don't see it that way, you're just not understanding the Scripture because <laughs> that's not the way the Scripture is. I think another thing that helps you, David, uh, uh, is the love and the participation the participation that you've had in sports for all these years. So, yeah. And I keep telling Gloria, because when she married me, I wasn't that, I, I never been a jock, okay? Uh, but but I wasn't that much interested in, in sports and that just kept developing. And she says, why do you do that? I said, can I tell you something? Sports at its very best is just a wonderful teacher in life. And there are mm -hmm. so many interesting stories. But I think, you're being an athlete, and your son is uh, uh, his, his vocation is in a, a professional sports. I think that helps you a lot, also, and your time mm -hmm. with the coach, uh, as far as inspiration is concerned. Personal discipline is all about, you know, doing what you need to do when nobody's watching, getting getting prepared, and and being trained, and being able to face the obstacles that come. You know, the adage that you learn a lot by losing, yeah. but you don't want to keep learning that lesson. And yeah. I got to tell you something before I forget it. One of my favorite people in, in sports just left my town and came to your town. His name is Philip Rivers. Oh, yes. He is, he's, but, he's come to be the quarterback at Indianapolis. With the Colts. And he is with the Colts. And Bill, you got to get to know that guy. He's a wonderful man. He has a, has a large family, but uh, I, I stayed alive with the NFL because he was here. He had some great, great moments when he was a quarterback. And yes. I don't think he's done either. He's a talented guy. Well, we're, and, and I, uh, we're very excited about having him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be a, I'm going to cheer for the Colts this year. So you just <laughs> added a fan. Okay. But, you know, you, you're right about, the, you know, I don't, I don't know any negative people who achieve much in their life. I know, I know a lot of negative people. I've met them over the years. <laughs> uh, they spend their whole life yeah. telling you why you shouldn't be successful. Yeah, I know. But they're, they're very miserable. Yeah. And I, I, I remember one day realizing that I couldn't afford the luxury of being around those people too much. You know, they are very demotivating and, and discouraging people, and I'd, I'd love to help them, but I've discovered some of them are so buried in their negativity, you can't get them out. So you just need to leave them alone. This is good stuff. Chapter eight, the importance of investing in all the scriptures that talk about what the kingdom is all about, mm -hmm. investing our treasure. That's about being alive after you're, you're not physically alive. It's outliving your life. Yep. It's doing things in your life Bill, that that lasts beyond you, and and beyond where where you are in 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 this world, and it's about investing in the Word of God. 
one of the great things um, that I've been able to do during the years when I've been doing stuff after most people said I should have retired, um, <laughs> I, I, I worked really hard pulling all of my study notes together and, and, I, um, and we produced the Jeremiah Study Bible. And I remember uh, we had a big opening ceremony um, that was at the um, Madison Square Garden Theater in New York City. And we just invited a whole bunch of people from New York and Don, Donald Trump and his wife came to that event and sat in the fourth row as we shared the gospel and we shared the joy of this Bible. And I, I, I told the story in this chapter that's kind of helped me understand the importance of that. When I was a child, when I was a young man, my parents who were, were godly people, they gave me for my 16th birthday, a copy of the Schofield Reference Bible. Oh, I remember that. That's a, yeah, that's the first study Bible I'd ever yeah. seen. And I got really excited about it. I still have it marked up and kind of beat up. And one day it dawned on me that when I was reading that Schofield Reference Bible, he wrote that in 1909. Huh. And so it had been in process, it had been in existence for many, many years. But here that Bible was ministering to my heart as a 16 year old boy. And one day I thought, Lord, I hope that you can use the Jeremiah Study Bible like that. That's an investment in the future. Whatever happens with that in the future, I won't even know about it unless you get reports on a daily basis in heaven. Yeah. But what a great thing. That's something that will last, that will, that will it, it has a long shelf life. And I think we ought to find things like that we can invest our lives in. The other way that happens, Bill, is when you invest in people like you've done all through your life. And you've had such an investment in these musicians and helped them and encouraged them. I've watched you do it. And they love you and they, they respect you. But most of all, their hearts are kept alive by your positive vision and your writing. And we, we need to find ways as believers, not just to live for the present moment, yeah. but to live for the future. To, to realize that our lives are leveraged against heaven and writing songs that are going to be sung long after you're not able to sing them on this earth and yeah. writing study Bibles and preaching sermons and doing teaching. You know, the, the Bible says, Bill, there's only two things that are eternal, the word of God and the souls of men and women. And I thank the Lord every day. I get to get up every day and I focus, those, that's my major process. The souls of men and women and the authority of the word of God. Those are the only two things that are gonna be here when this world is gone. And you get to do that too. You get to involve yourself in the souls of people who are blessed by your music and by the, the scripture that is in those songs. That's where our joy comes from. And it doesn't end when we, when we end our life here. It just keeps on going. Well, for whatever it's worth, Gloria and I have watched you and I have known you ever since the Black Hawk Baptist days um, in Fort Wayne. Your focus has never changed, David, and uh, been so God-honoring. And uh, I'm proud to call you friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me talk about this project that has been so special to me. and. You know, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't know where to tell people to go find that book because half the stores aren't open. <laughs> but I think you'd probably get it at Amazon. They're pretty yeah. much always can get yeah. that book. And it, come, it, it, it gets released October the 2nd. 
and it's just called forward. And, and I think it will be an encouragement to people as they try to come out of this crazy period of time yeah. that we've been in. Get the book, and Gloria's gonna use it uh, as a Bible study uh, this fall. Amen. Blessings to you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining me for this episode of More Than The Music. For details on the Gaither Vocal Band tour dates, the latest Gaither music releases, and much more, visit us online at gaither.com. This is Bill Gaither signing off until the next edition of More Than The Music. Thank you.